Listener Production. Hi, Rihanna Patrick here and welcome to The Briefing. How does a prisoner swap program work between countries? Soon we'll take a look into the US basketball star who was traded for a notorious Russian arms dealer. A lot of people like to ask how this trade is possibly fair, why the United States would give up someone with a reputation like Boots in exchange for someone like Brittany Griner, who was arrested and convicted of a crime, but certainly a very, very minor one. Yeah, it's something out of a James Bond movie and is steeped in a bit of controversy. So in the second half of this episode, we'll find out exactly how these delicate negotiations work and what the stakes are, as well as what the domestic and political fallout has been in the US. That's our briefing topic today. But first, here are today's headlines with Annika Smethurst. It's Friday, the 16th of December. Harry and Meghan have revealed new details of the breakdown of their relationship with the British royal family. In the latest Netflix instalment, which just dropped, Harry describes a meeting with his brother William, his father, now King Charles, and his grandmother, the Queen, to decide the couple's role. It was terrifying to have my brother um, scream and shout at me and my father say things that just simply weren't true and and my grandmother, you know, quietly sit there and, and sort of take it all in. But... You have to understand that from a family's perspective, especially from hers, there are ways of doing things and her ultimate sort of mission goal or slash responsibility is the institution. Harry's also accused his father of leaking his personal information to the press. He says he knew his father leaked their plan to move to Canada because the fact they were willing to relinquish their Sussex titles was only written in a letter to his father. Another major claim made in the series was when Harry says Meghan's 2020 miscarriage was partly caused by, quote, what the mail did, referring to a lawsuit they were fighting against a tabloid newspaper once they'd moved to the US. So, Annika, uh, I'll be honest, these are the episodes that I was waiting for. (laughs) Have you had a chance to dip in yet? Look, I haven't. Busy time of year and all of that uh, with work, but I do want to watch it. Um about to finish up for the year and might just find a quiet time one day to sit down on the couch and watch it. It's been an incredible hit for Netflix in terms of their viewership. It's it's really, you know, breaking all the records. So a lot of people might be pretending they're not going to watch it, but it seems a lot of people are watching it. Yeah, and I think I'm going to be one of them with this group of episodes. <laughs> The government's energy relief bill has passed Parliament as power prices continue to surge. Australians are paying a hefty price for more than nine months of aggression, Russian aggression in Ukraine. Treasurer Jim Chalmers there and the bill will save the average household, Annika, about $230 in power bills next year. Yeah, but unfortunately electricity bills are still meant to surge by about $700 on average. The difference is, instead of the forecast rise of 63% over the next two years, it's now 48% after this bill passed. The new laws also offer rebates to low and middle income households, as well as small businesses. And this is in addition to a cap on gas prices, which will last for a year. So a little bit of relief there, but... It's still not great news for rising power prices, is it? No, but I guess some measures there that will kind of soften the blow. But as we mentioned there, I mean, electricity prices are still set to rise because of these ongoing global shocks caused by Russia invading Ukraine. More price hikes to come, but maybe this will alleviate it somewhat. 
The Queensland government has promised to act on failures of a DNA forensic lab. Forensic services in Queensland needs to be rebuilt from the ground up. That was Health Minister Yvette Darth there. The report was handed down following a six-month inquiry, finding six years' worth of DNA swabs and sexual assault cases were not properly tested and some samples may have been missed. Yeah, the report found that it all came down to maladministration and that lab manager Kathy Allen had lied for years about what was going on inside the clinic and among the 123 recommendations, the report recommends a review of thousands of crimes including murder and sexual assault cases dating back to January 2008. Yeah, interestingly, it also means Queensland will now have to review their double jeopardy laws, which would allow cases using the DNA evidence from the lab to be retried. The Reserve Bank is expected to keep hiking interest rates off the back of November's labour figures, with the unemployment rate remaining at 3.4%. The data also showing the workforce participation rate is back at record high, and it was forecast about 15 to 20,000 jobs would be added last month. But employers actually took on about 64,000 extra positions, three times higher than expected. This all comes after the US Federal Reserve hiked its rates on Wednesday by 0.5% to a range now between 4.25% and 4.5%, which is the highest in 15 years in the US. So pretty tough times over there. Hopefully we don't end up in that situation. Eight years on from Sydney's Lint Cafe siege and the officer that led the rescue team has finally spoken out. Yeah, Officer A, whose name is suppressed by the courts, believes his team could have saved hostages Katrina Dawson and Tori Johnson if they were allowed to enter the scene earlier. From the the moment that first gunshot gone, then yes, I do believe we would have changed the outcome. Not a moment, not a day goes by, I don't think about the two of them. That audio from Nine there, the officer has released a book called Tiger, 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 The Lint Cafe Siege. He says he wrote that book as therapy for his PTSD, which he believes emergency services need to consider more for their support and training. Thanks, Annika. We're about to go deep on the prisoner swap concerning US athlete Brittany Griner, who was in jail in Russia. When the imprisoned USW NBA star Brittany Griner came home after being swapped for a Russian arms dealer known as a merchant of death, it gave us a tiny peek into a shady world of high-level horse trading where it seems like no matter what crime you might be accused of, if the political stakes are high enough, there's a chance your government could negotiate your freedom. This is like a movie plot, only that this stuff actually happens and maybe more than we think. And it did get us wondering how the prisoner swap program works between countries, how each side decides what a fair trade is and what the fallout of those decisions are, particularly in the case we just mentioned. So to tell us how all of this works and how the stakes of the negotiation are decided, we're joined by Danielle Gilbert, who's an expert in US foreign policy at Dartmouth College. Danielle, thanks so much for joining us on The Briefing. So take us back. How did athlete Brittany Griner come to find herself in custody in Russia in the first place? 
In February, Brittany Griner was headed to Russia to play basketball there in her offseason, as she has done for the last seven years. And when she was in the airport outside of Moscow, she was stopped and they found 0.7 grams of hash oil in her luggage. She was arrested and detained and charged with international drug smuggling. And over the course of the subsequent Months, she went through a trial as part of the Russian criminal justice system. She was charged with drug smuggling and sentenced to nine and a half years of hard labor in a Russian penal colony. But shortly after she was arrested, it became clear to the United States government and to people in Brittany Griner's community that this was not a legitimate arrest, that she was being held for leverage by the Russian government, that they vastly exaggerated the crime that she committed, and that ultimately she would be released as part of a prisoner swap. So, Danielle, I mean, what generally happens when a U.S. citizen is detained overseas? So the vast majority of Americans who are arrested abroad go through a normal criminal justice proceeding. They'll be arrested and and treated hopefully fairly. But there's been a growing trend over the last handful of years that foreigners, especially from wealthy Western democracies like the United States, like Australia, have been arrested and used for leverage by authoritarian governments like China and Russia. And so when these Americans are arrested, our governments start to notice pretty early on that there is something wrong, something illegitimate about the arrest or the charges or the trial. Often Americans or other foreigners might be charged with something like espionage or attempt to overthrow a government. And that means that their arrest is outside the normal criminal channels and belongs in this realm of wrongful detention, or what I refer to as hostage diplomacy, which is when a state uses their criminal justice system to take a foreigner hostage. I'm imagining in the case of Brittany Griner, there was quite a bit of leverage there. I mean, she's considered the best female basketball star in the world. Uh, What was Mm -hmm. the process in getting her released? So there are a few institutions within the United States government that work on these cases all the time. There's an office at the U.S. State Department called the Special Presidential Envoy for Hostage Affairs, goes by the acronym SPIHA. And it's the job of that office to deal with Americans who are held hostage or wrongfully detained overseas. When an American is arrested and held wrongfully in this way, the SPIHA and the White House work around the clock behind the scenes to negotiate with the United States counterparts abroad to figure out what it will take to get our citizens home. Danielle Griner was in prison for 10 months and clearly thought she wasn't going to get out. So how does a prisoner swap end up on that negotiating table Because from what you're saying, there has to be extenuating circumstances. So when an American is arrested abroad, the State Department takes a look at that case and determines whether or not it belongs in this category of a wrongful detention. The special presidential envoy and the secretary of state look at the case and try to determine Is that American being held for leverage? Were they arrested explicitly because they're an American? 
Once that determination is made and the person receives that wrongful detention designation, their case becomes the purview of the special presidential envoy and even at the highest levels of the White House to work on bringing that person home. So a man called Victor Bush, who's also known as the Merchant of Death, he was involved in this swap. Tell us a little bit about why this is so controversial. Victor Boot is notorious for his role in providing weapons to conflicts all over the world. In 2008, Victor Boot was originally arrested as part of an FBI sting operation in Thailand for his role in supporting an armed group that has killed Americans. And he was ultimately tried and convicted in the United States for support of terrorism and for aiding and abetting conflicts all over the world. He has this nickname, the Merchant of Death, and he is uh, notorious for the way that he supported dictators, autocrats, and insurgencies in every part of the world. Victor Boot has been serving for over a decade in United States uh, in prison, and the Russian government has made clear on multiple occasions that they were hoping to have Victor Boot released. His name has come up in prior prisoner exchanges between the United States and Russia, and so it was clear that he was a priority of the Putin regime in some way, shape, or form. After Brittany Griner was arrested and it became clear that she fell into this wrongfully detained category, Victor Boot's name came up time and time again. And so it was clear that behind the scenes, the Putin regime was pushing to have him released in exchange for Brittany Griner. Now, that can be quite controversial. First of all, because he is so notorious and because of his involvement in all of these different conflicts, I think also a lot of people like to ask how this trade is possibly fair, why the United States would give up someone with a reputation like Boots in exchange for someone like Brittany Griner, who was arrested and convicted of a crime, but certainly a very, very minor one and someone that the United States holds in high esteem for all of the wonderful things that she has done in her basketball career and her advocacy career and things like that. Yeah, Danielle, there's been a bit of conjecture, I guess, around, as you say, whether this was a fair swap or not and why ex-Marine Paul Whelan wasn't considered for a swap. But what made Griner's case different to what Paul Whelan has been charged with? So from the minute that Brittany Griner was arrested, the conversation around her case has consistently included Paul Whelan. I believe that the White House was doing everything it could to negotiate for both of their return. But it seems like what we're hearing from the White House is that at the end of the day, the Putin regime refused to let Whelan go. There essentially weren't concessions that the United States government had to offer that the Russians were willing to accept in exchange for Whelan. He was charged with espionage. He's serving a much longer sentence He's been in prison since 2018, and so they might really consider him a national security threat in a way that they did not consider Griner. Danielle, is this, you know, the Griner case and, and what we're seeing with U.S. citizens being detained, and particularly in Russia? I mean, is there a bigger story here about the deteriorating relationship between the U.S. and Russia? 
I think there's definitely a bigger story going on here about these prisoner swaps and hostage diplomacy and its importance in international security around the world. These cases are never taking place between friends. So I actually see this as a new and growing tool in the toolbox of perpetrators of autocrats around the world that countries see arresting foreigners for leverage as a way to coerce more powerful states. What are the ramifications closer to home in Australia where we live? There are a few high-profile Australians who've been detained in China, um, Mm -hmm. one in particular a female journalist, and her family's been agitating for quite some time for her to be released. What do you think the uh, potential ramifications are there? So one of the things that I think about a lot when I'm looking at these cases of citizens of countries like Australia being arrested is that Australians are in a really difficult position on the world stage, sitting between a country like China that is increasingly growing aggressive and might be coercing the Australian people, the Australian government to be more in line with what China wants and other Western powers that hope that Australia stays more aligned with them, like the United States. So I see an increasing risk of this kind of wrongful detention for the citizens of Australia, other countries like Canada and Japan that really see themselves kind of caught in between the United States and China in this way. That was Danielle Gilbert, who's an expert in US foreign policy at Dartmouth College. I find this stuff so fascinating, don't you, Rihanna? Yeah, Katrina, this is a case I've been following for a while when Griner was first detained in Russia and have been following along. And at never at any point did I think that there would be a prisoner swap on the negotiation table. But I guess it got me thinking that I know that she's a high-profile athlete, she's known in both Russia and the US because she's played basketball in both. But as a traveller, I wonder, is that something you have to have in the back of your mind that something could happen to you if you're travelling through places like Russia or China where you have to have this in the back of your mind that maybe they pick you to make an example of? Yeah, well, we mentioned the case of uh, that Australian TV journalist, Chung Lei. I mean, her family is now coming up to more than two years where she has been away from them, detained on spying charges. And uh, I know she's got two children who are quite young. And so they're coming up to another Christmas without her as well. That's it for this week's briefing. Jamila, what have you got for the weekend? To round out the weekend briefing for 2022, I have chatted to actress, writer and director Virginia Gay. She is self-described highly sexed chaos and I seriously hope that is the first line of her resume as well. This conversation was such a fun one. We talked about her time on television dramas like Winners and Losers and All Saints. We talked about her theatrical childhood. We dived deep in what it is to be a performer in 2022 and how tough it can be, but also the power of returning to yourself, to making your own work, to leaving your ego at the door. It is just such a joyous, rambling, glorious chat to end off the year. Thanks, Jamila. And that's it for The Briefing. We'll see you next week. Listener.